um why do we have everything uh, you know revolves us in matters of art and design and innovation because we are just a, a tiny another tiny element on this planet and nature is so much more powerful than us and you can see it like look at this mycelium like this one cellular beings and they are so smart so i mean i feel a lot of peace of mind i would say i feel a lot of sense of purpose i feel way more aligned with myself and my environment and it has definitely helped me navigate a lot of tough times in my life like um like there were days and it's also a very meditative process you know making my interiors it takes so much patience and you know you spend so much days alone and just just with that Hello and welcome to another episode of Tiny Farm Friends podcast. Hope you guys had a great start to the new year. In a world where everybody is trying to sell something, our guest today is a true artist who is in a quest of meaning and authenticity. She is giving her ideas shape and body while at the same time pondering what it means to be a creator in the times we live in. Rushati Chaudhary is a visual artist, a material designer and a maker working at the intersection of science and art. She is trained in textile design. Before starting her own material practice, she has worked across fashion accessories and material innovation in India, Italy, China and Germany. She aims to give a new definition to traditional craftsmanship and visual arts, explore new biomaterials, and push the limits of the matter that nature has provided us with we are in complete awe of her work in this podcast we talk about a variety of topics ranging from fast fashion algorithm driven design biomaterials even to philosophy of life and death we hope you enjoy this conversation So before we dig into your work and bioplastics, yeah. can you maybe tell us about yourself and your background? Yeah. Okay. So it's been a bit of a ride. So I started. Uh, I was studying textile and material design, basically industrial design, uh, from NID, National Institute of Design, in Ahmedabad. And while I was there, I did a. did an exchange semester in germany and then i after graduating i kind of worked in the fashion industry in india in china in italy and then i went to do my masters in italy it was actually in uh, fashion but like haute couture which is like very high fashion very uh, customized crafted handcrafted high fashion like the best that italy has to offer kind of masters so it was you know kind of a work masters so we got to kind of study in the context of the fashion industry and the textile industry and uh, then i did my after i graduated from there i started working with a research lab which is like a multidisciplinary innovation lab and uh, now i'm absolutely working independently as a material artist mostly with sculptures and installations at the intersection of science and art and mostly with biomaterials like you know so got it so like how was your experience working for say different brands during your masters and in between and like how did you end up working right. with bioplastics in the first place right um honestly i was anyone who's working in the fashion industry right now is quite aware of how things are kind of in the process of changing and the fashion industry has been for some years picking up you know some designers trying out new things trying out new materials sometimes mostly for the you know sake of aesthetics and mostly for visual design because fashion is mostly visual design mm-hmm. so i was kind of aware of what's going on and then when i was in china I specifically worked with this brand um and they are a very young very street 
wear brand and they're also into sustainability. So with them, I was kind of uh, working on new materials, not biomaterials, but kind of uh, upcycling, you know, textile, waste textiles and like transforming them into things more fashionable. Then what happened uh, when I was in Rome and I was doing my master's, uh, so Italy, you know, it's known for its opulence and it's known for its maximalism when it comes to textile mm-hmm. and fashion and it's known for its uh, culture, you know, their um, heritage, their craft and those silk weaving, leather. So Italy is kind of, you know, still the hub of materials when it comes to luxury fashion. So like all these brands that really come to Italy for their fabrics and their leather. So in Italy, there is like quite revolution that's happening, like an underground revolution that's happening where Mm -hmm. people are starting to, you know, work with different materials starting to come up. You have to, you know, remember this is the land of Renaissance, but you know, new ideas. So what happened was like, I was at the forefront of hot couture and I was at the forefront of this textile industry in Italy. And I kind of was very lucky that I got to know a lot of these people who are working with alternative techniques and materials. So I just got really interested. And I remember we had like a small internship in between, like a summer internship. And uh, everyone really decided to go for the embroidery and, you know, silk weaving, the traditional textiles. And I chose Mm -hmm. to work with uh, people who are working with biofabrication and digital fabrication, which is basically using more technology to create fabrics and structures. And I just got really interested in it. And then, yeah, it just one thing led to the other and I ended up working with biomaterials. Fascinating. So you talked about like the fashion brand trying to recycle stuff. So that brings me to the question that like how wasteful actually is the fashion industry and uh, how much responsible are the top brands or do you think that the yarn manufacturers, the chemical pigment manufacturers, even us Mm -hmm. as consumers, are we equally responsible? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what, Raghav, like this is something I have thought of and assessed and reassessed all my time, like since I started basically studying or working in the creative. And standing, my, you know, my answer might change five years from now. If you ask me, I would be knowing more. But standing where I am now today, I would say it's... The, the people who are really to be blamed are the ones that are running the system, the politicians, the, the corporates, you know, the ones that are dictating how the system should run. I'll tell you why, because it's not that black and white. It's not that easy to say, oh, as a fashion brand, why are you not being sustainable? Or like stop fast fashion. It's not that easy. So what happens is in fashion, like in any contemporary culture, there is this theory of trickle down, right? So the big, big brands, the big houses, they have the luxury and the money and, you know, the brains to create something really beautiful. And then it trickles down kind of. And so what has happened right now is that, Say, for example, I see a lot of like this fashion editorials. They would talk about how fast fashion is really bad and it's polluting the planet. Absolutely, it is. And like, let me just say, fashion industry and textile industry is one of the highest pollutants, like polluting industry. Like the carbon footprint is immense, immense. I'll get to that in a while. So so what happens is they say, oh, fast fashion is is bad. And that's not the end of, because what happens is, you are creating this aspiration, you know, all these like advertisements and branding and influencer marketing. And every time you're scrolling your Instagram, you, you're seeing like yeah. 50 new designs and also social media has become really democratic. So all of this is like really at our fingertips. So what is happening is you're creating this aspiration for people and not everyone can afford to spend money on good design. Of course, they're going to go to fast fashion brands. And I feel like everyone deserves that dignity to have good things. Everyone does that. It's like you can't just say just because you can't, you know, you can't afford doesn't mean you can't uh, wear something nice that makes you feel good or, you know, makes you look good. 
so what happens is so this is you see like it's a broader like a more complex problem than just mm-hmm. saying this is good and this is bad then for example like i'm just giving you some like case studies you know right. some very specific case studies so then like this fast fashion brands they mostly uh make their products in the sweatshops in bangladesh in india in pakistan which is like really poor condition of working but those people the workers that work there they don't have good union they don't have a political system to give them an alternative career or an alternative choice to walk out from that so they're stuck to that system so that's why i'm saying you know the the blame it's not on us consumers and like some and designers as much as it is on the people who are really like running you know like uh, i don't want yeah. to sound like a conspiracy theorist <laughs> but like you know the ones that are, are yeah, at I the top of too. things you know and that's why i feel like whenever we talk about sustainability in fashion i want to have like someone who studies economics joining the discussion or someone who is into international law or politics you know because it's a broader problem and in general like if we're just talking about fashion and uh, how wasteful it is it is absolutely wasteful it is like i know so many big brands that have like burnt their stock thrown away their stock but they have made new products because they have to because we are in a very uh, like fast paced consumeristic environment now that is definitely a problem and that's not you know you can't blame the consumers on that because they have been tuned to behave like that that's why advertisements right. are there so you know they're selling it to you they're selling those ideas to you so what happens is like you know it was always there like this aspirational thing that i'm talking about like you know every generation has had like contemporary culture um, kind of inspired them in the way they dress or in the way they behave so it's always been there but it's all never been this fast it's never been at at your fingertip constantly so for example earlier like every brand used to have two collections in a year spring summer autumn winter and in india it would usually be like you know around diwali it's like a fest pan indian festival time you will get like one collection and probably in summer you like the new years around ar- around the country you will get a new collection right and in the west it was spring summer autumn winter and now it's like every two weeks every two weeks if you go to a store you'll have a new collection and earlier you would probably have you see the advertisement like in a magazine or you'd see like a movie and you see this you know actress wearing this dress so you kind of like it and like i said now we have social media now we have instagram influencers now we have the models and these brands use them as the tool to market that idea that you constantly you constantly need new things every time you refresh there's something new so also what happens is is devaluing the value of your clothes and that's why you know if you can't really blame the designers you can't really blame the yarn manufacturers because they are just staying alive in this if today i there is like a guy say who who weaves banarasi sarees okay and he sees like there is a, like a saree to weave it it takes a lot of time that's why you know in the right. earlier days our grandmothers would have like this one good saree that they will have yes. like one good banarasi one good you know kanjivaram now they see that you know people want something every day or every month so they would resort to doing things that are a bit uh, like they would probably dye their yarn in a acid dye or something which is faster they would you know yeah resort to things that will be quicker so that's what you know it's a very very complex situation but it's also very like i think it's about time people really start talking about it right so like also although like some fashion brands are trying to become sustainable you know and sustainability has become a buzzword <laughs> yeah. or it has it is also a very oh, complex yeah. topic right so say for example how far do these efforts like you know using organic cotton or say recycled pet bottles in you know making your uh, fabric or your Uh, products how yeah. far do these efforts go and do they really solve the problem or do they only perpetuate our dependence on mm-hmm. fossil based polymers 
Right. You know what I'll tell you is that no material is bad. You know, even plastic has been uh, so useful in so many things. You know, we right. really have so many things we can't really live without it. So no material is bad, but again the problem comes down to the system. So you know, if we have these brands that are making organic clothes or uh, using absolutely you know natural materials, that's that's brilliant. You know, that's beautiful. But the problem is the quantity that they're producing. You know, the problem mm. is that they're also keeping up with the pressure from the market. And uh, I think like we were, you know, talking about that yeah. article that says uh, like an organic tote bag, you need to, that's what I know. It's, you need to use it for like some 30,000 times, like use it and wash it and use it and wash it to actually make it, uh, how do I say, like uh, degradable, biodegradable. Because it's not like, you know, we don't think about that. Like just like that, you know, my I'm wearing an organic cotton top. I can't just throw it in the soil and it'll just like dissolve in it. That's not how it works. It's a process, you know, it's a long process. And even natural things take quite a lot of time to biodegrade. Like not everything happens at the same time. So I feel like that's the problem because I feel now if we have like 20,000 brands all doing absolutely good in organic cotton, then that doesn't solve the problem either then because we are having so much, you know. And uh, like I said, again, you have to also think of all this in context to this marketing trend, in context to this consumerism that these uh, big uh, markets are producing, you know, they are initiating. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, I mean, it's a bit of, uh, I would say it is like sustainability is used as a, greenwashing method like i have seen i have gone to stores seen like uh clothes that has the stack that they are made they're very sustainable and they're green and everything and then i've gone under that label that says what oh, it's made of and it's made of like rayon or nylon and stuff so i think the awareness really needs to come also individually because um that could be one small step in countering this to really understand if just because you, you're buying into something organic doesn't mean you need to buy so much. But then again, you know, who am I to tell someone not to buy? You know, that, that's, uh, I don't want to comment on that. It's not yeah. my place. So, but now, yeah. like, would you agree that today's design, design and designers are like working more on the aesthetics than utility? And how do you see the role of young designers, especially in the fashion industry? Mm. Okay, so like the first, I'll answer the question in two parts, okay? Yeah. Because the first part it reminded me of this. Uh, recently, I was reading an article that said, why do all the products of our times, they all look the same? You know, mm -hmm. like they all have that very similar ergonomics, this like, rounded edges kind of this matte finish kind of like a contrast and then a bland color so it was very yeah. interesting because it said again like if i may come back to the social media aspect of things because it's so relevant right now mm -hmm. because our algorithm decides a lot for us you know our algorithm decides a lot of trends for us if you go to pinterest and you type like good products you'll see very similar looking things, regardless if they're good or not, you know? Yeah. So, and even if you go to like all these design editorials on Instagram, you look through their um, timeline, they all have very similar looking products. Because what has happened is suddenly, how you look, how things look has become very important in the age of Instagram, <clears throat> in the age of Tumblr and everything. So, and this has absolutely shaped designs in such a way, like I see it, the difference in like when I graduated NIT, Instagram was just like starting. We were still putting up pictures like with our friends and, you know, not, not really caring how things look. But now if I see the way the young students work, it's, you could see like the way they would take that picture, the way they would choose their colors. It's so uh, much like like the factor of how it's going to look has become so much more important because that's what happens. And this is something that 
no, I'm, I'm just talking about these young students, but also big brands, it's happening everywhere. Because what matters is how much the algorithm is choosing you, because that will dictate how uh, well received you will be, how well received your design will be and everything. So coming to your question, yes, like how a thing looks has become way more important. And that's why, you know, sometimes you will see these buzzwords, like, you know, you will see these um, posts that have like, oh, this designer made this. And it's like a very flashy, like a, a kind of a headline with a picture. You just like stay on it for two seconds. You give it a like. How many of us actually go back to to the article or to see actually what that product is? Or is it actually useful? Or does it actually make sense? You know, we don't. So, and in context of fashion industry, of course, you know, it has become so much more about, well, fashion and textiles were always a bit more on the art side of design I would say because aesthetics always really mattered but uh, like a lot of these brands now have um, are under this uh, you know they're obliged to make it look good they're obliged to uh, make it look attractive so you when you're scrolling down you have your attention on it regardless of what the material is or actually if it is good or not so that's why, you know, we have a lot of um, designers who are very, uh, you would say, bizarre. But that has always been a part of fashion because a part of fashion is also very theatrical. It's also very art. You know, it's not always about your variability. But um, yeah, I mean, you could like, you know, see that balance is getting a bit lost now because yeah, it doesn't I mean... matter who is going to wear your clothes as long as it's featured on something or getting all these likes yeah yeah i can totally agree with you and like that is a very important point that you brought up that today's design is very much driven by the algorithms i could say the same for say even mm-hmm. the construction mm-hmm. or interior design industry because like Absolutely. if we say compared Absolutely. to older times we had moments like or like like renaissance movement or say art deco art nouveau right Right now every month or say like every two months designs are changing say right now you could see that ratan ratan check pattern everywhere like being used yeah i know right it's apps it's the one major thing driving everything today trust me and that's why the big brands are known for their craftsmanship and known for their storytelling and known for their uh, unique, uniqueness to stand out they are all doing things and they are paying the Instagram influencers to market their clothes because even for them it's become so important that they appear on the algorithm like they have this trending products like products that are going to break the internet you know these words come up you know one more thing I want to add in terms of like this how visuals have suddenly become way more important and I would say like um, also because you really have to see this and I think I'm sure you're going to get it as well. How much design has changed in the last few years? And that's why like look, look at product design now, like most of product design, architecture, most of it has become about system design because right. you don't have as many products as before. Like all your products are in one phone. So what do you do? You design the system, you design the UI UX, which is there's nothing wrong with it. But what happens, like, also there's this new influx of uh, motion design, motion graphics, 3D, you know, uh, all those cinema 4D kind of design, which is huge. Like, I see everyone doing it, and which is brilliant. Like, I think that's amazing. But what happens is then, of course, you know, when you're making something tactile, you're making something with your hand versus you're making something with cinema 4D, the latter will have way more chances of looking more attractive, looking more appealing, especially on the screen, especially for the algorithm. So what happens? Like, are we going towards a future where we are only going to have everything digital? Like, are we going to stop having anything tactile, you know? And I make these observations and questions, especially coming from an industrial design background, because I see that shift. I see that shift of people shifting more towards digital design things that look really nice on screen which is good again i'm not like you know uh discoursing it but yeah but yeah i mean that's an important point and i think we could like have a complete podcast on that topic with nfts coming yeah. in 
Facebook oh, planning yeah, to have yeah. metaverse. So yeah, like a lot of things right, have like right. become more digital. That's like a whole yeah. Yeah. Whole but thing. at the same time, it uh, like it highlights like how disconnected we have become with the materials itself, right? Because we've been designing absolutely. on screens, and as aesthetics like take the front seat, <laughs> we don't yeah. actually like think about the life cycle of the materials or like. No. We want to achieve that matte finish, but we don't know like right. what toxics or exactly. VOCs we are producing exactly. for achieving that particular matte finish. Yeah. Even the ergonomics, you know, even like how you're going to use it. Is it going to be usable? And I've seen this in fashion designers as well. Hmm. Just because they want it to look a certain way, they're not seeing how the materials are going to react to my body. Are they going to you know, stay with gravity, are they going to feel good to wear? All these things have majorly gone out of the window. It's all about how it looks. It's all about, uh, yeah, I mean, that's why, you know, what's happening is there is more and more people are having such a disconnect. They're having such an, like, they don't have that understanding of how materials really behave. Something that us, when we grew up and we studied, that was like one of our fundamentals in understanding. Like materials really like shaped everything else for us. So yeah, there is a major disconnect. So, so what was the pivotal moment in your life when you decided that, yeah, like I don't want to take up the conventional path in fashion and like I, mm-hmm. I want to work with say biomaterials and how did you go about, you know, like starting your journey working with say bioplastics well um i would say it really happened when i was finishing my masters in rome and i think what happened is by then i had worked in the fashion industry but also across all the spectrums of the fashion industry you know like worked with absolute like craftspeople in India to this new age thing in Shanghai to Italy, which is known for its uh, you know traditional fashion textile. So I worked across all of it and I kind of had a burnout. I kind of uh, got very disillusioned, you know. Um, mostly I would say because I was uh, very guilty of contributing to a system that's creating so much of the environmental crisis that we are in right now. Like, it's absolutely one of the major contributors of that. So I was very guilty about it. I thought, like, I, I would be a hypocrite if I keep caring for the environment and at the same time, you know, be a part of the problem. And I would say I was disillusioned by the system because like let me say I still love I love fashion you know I love crafting that I love uh, researching and designing and making it and most of my work is still very hand done I love that fact that fashions even now is one of the you know remaining industries where people mostly work with hands so I loved it but it was the system that eventually I realized like and it is such a monster like the system it's so it's a gigantic monster you know there's because so much stakeholders there's so much money and being brought in to keep the system running that I felt like uh, you know I won't be able to uh, be happy or make a change in this because you need to have a lot more power or money or privilege to make a change in something like the fashion industry. So I kind of had a burnout and um, at the end of my master's, I was still like, I thought I'm going to make that shift from fashion to something more holistic and more more integral. But what happened was I was still, you know, I had these job interviews lined up in Italy and I had a couple of job offers and... uh, I didn't think I'll make the change so fast, but um, the pandemic happened then. <laughs> and I know it's been like a very tough time for everyone, but for once at that moment, I thought it was a sign from the universe that everything stopped and all this, you know, job interviews kind of fell apart and stuff. So I was anyway working on my own on, uh, you know, integrating materials with um, a bit of innovation, a bit of tech and stuff so then I got in touch with this lab like this uh, innovation lab and they kind of asked me they were having kind of uh, gone like they already had a biomaterial department but this time they were kind of you know actually putting in a lot more work and money so they, they kind of invited me to come work with them 
and i was like yes why not you know it worked out for me yeah from there so but there are but mostly of, i'm really self taught you know yeah but there is a variety of bio material that you could work on like why did bioplastic catch your attention in the first mm-hmm. place right okay so firstly what happened was uh bioplastic was something that always fascinated me because the first time i heard about it i couldn't believe it because i was like how can plastics be biodegradable how can plastics be made from biological matter because all my life i knew plastic as this completely like bad you know like petroleum based thing so it really caught my attention as something that sounds really challenging you know so then and i got like very obsessed with um, figuring out how that's possible and uh, what are the you know advantages disadvantages extremes of it secondly what happened is of course you know i'm also an artist so so uh, a lot of it was um, driven by the kind of how would i say like the kind of mind space i had at that time with my art because you know these materials this bioplastic they are also very fascinating they have such character you know i was always like i was uh, working on this interplay of light and color and shadows and optical illusion and i thought that was such a versatile material to work with as an installation art so you know both so it's not just the aesthetics but it was also the like the usability and the usefulness of it so it was a combination of all of that so there was i mean I, at the same time i was working on eggshell materials i was working on uh, uh natural dyes um yeah and yeah mostly those but i think i really focused on bioplastics yeah for all these reasons fascinating so before we actually like dig deeper into the artwork that you created i would like love to know like what all materials like have you experimented so far in creating a bioplastic and what are some ingredients that go into creating the right okay yeah so bioplastics are like mostly there can be like a lot of different types so there's a lot of different ways to go about it i have experienced mostly with seaweed like different kinds of seaweed extracts i have worked with animal gelatin and plant based gelatin um and like with animal gelatin of course like very different types of like fish gelatin and you know uh gelatin coming from this meat industry like the surplus like the bones that they throw away so i've exper- experimented with gelatin i have experimented with um potato starch with corn starch actually the one with corn starch works really well also for 3d printing do you know like the filaments that yes, they make it's nice. it's brilliant you can you can 3d print with that bioplastic actually um what else no with bioplastic mostly these and amongst like the seaweed i have experienced experimented with like a range of seaweeds like so there are different seaweeds having different properties that coming from so yeah mostly these got it so how how similar are the properties of bioplastic with traditional plastic and what challenges do you still see like that that i'm sure there is a long way to you know like making them commercialize oh, yeah. and selling them but what other yeah. challenges do you see when it comes to creating bioplastics um, so like the similarities i think the idea was always to mimic plastic and not become plastic because we are not trying to be plastic so uh, the similarities are obviously i would start with how the material feels and how it looks it's very similar to plastic a lot of the bioplastic not all of it but a lot of it is water resistant till a certain degree like you can have these uh, uh, certain bioplastics from seaweed where you can store water for some time before it decomposes then a lot of this plastics are perfect for you know the using uh, for the use of single use plastics basically you know the kind of wrappers and when you go to this cafes and they give your fork and knife in a yeah. in a plastic wrapper also on the planes so those that you throw away and you don't leave 
we need to use it much. It's really good for that. It has that, it does have that uh, protection that plastic offers, but to a certain degree, as far as I know, like, of course, like, um, you know, a PP kit, I'm not sure if it can, can be yet made from bioplastic. It, I don't know if it will protect, it will give that protection for that much or even that range of protection, but I'm sure like you can cover like your, spoons and your sandwiches and that kind if you could use bioplastic bioplastics also can be used for 3d printing they're not very strong yet but the point is you know when we work on 3d printings in the design industry we use we make a lot of prototypes you know which usually also goes to waste a lot of it so yeah. those you could definitely do with bioplastic so you're not like putting more plastic in the you know in the world which is not going to be used and then the bigger thing you make with like whatever materials you're making even good plastic so i feel like um, that's something i really uh, found uh, you know very interesting about this bioplastic because i feel like again i said like no material is bad even plastic isn't bad if you use it well if you use it for a long time the problem is we, we have a lot of disposable plastic which we dispose of really fast so if that could be countered and it's uh, of course it's like a research in process and there are like still like a lot of challenges we are coming up with like for example some of the bioplastics i made i realized they um they don't really thrive in this indian climate that we have because there's so much moisture it kind of makes it a bit limp so uh, some bioplastics because they're also um they're made from a biological like cellular matter you know gelatin or seaweed some of them you really have to see how good they are before you introduce it into a f in, in a food environment. So it's kind of a research, ongoing research, but I do know for a fact they could help us counter so much of the problems with we have with disposable plastic for sure. Yeah, in fact, even the in the biomaterial industry, say when it comes to mycelium, I remember us talking about that. But still, like while trying to say inoculate mycelium, we use right. a lot of single-use yes, plastic, yes. and like mm -hmm. how we could like you know like different designers could you know exchange ideas and come up with solutions so that you maybe absolutely grow mycelium by covering it with say bioplastics. Exactly. Yes. 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 Yeah, and it's very possible. I'll tell you because there are bioplastics which are very like they would trap that moisture in which mm -hmm. is needed for the mycelium. Right. So exactly like for all these purposes, but you know, one of the problems is it's a process that's hand done again, you know, so there are limitations to how much you can make. It's not, you know, yeah. done by a machine, but uh, like some of the bioplastic is actually done by machine, like cornstarch bioplastic and potato bioplastic. They have started making it like machine. But a lot of it, like seaweed bioplastic, it's absolutely artisanal. Like you have to cook it, you have to make it. Right. So like, can you also like walk us through the journey of the beautiful artwork you created, Your Mind After Midnight? And what was the inspiration well, behind thank it? you so much. <laughs> thank you for calling it beautiful. And um, it was... So I would say it started uh, even before I started working on this bioplastic in this lab. If you see some of my textile sculptures before that, and they're also on my Instagram before. Right. So I was working a lot with the concept of sleep paralysis and nightmares and dreamscapes, especially in a pandemic. Because I was reading and I was going through like, like as soon as the pandemic happened, I was going through a lot of trouble with sleeping and with being in this tiny room all by myself. And I was away from my family. You know, I was in a whole different country. There was, yeah. uh, you know, we completely lost track of what we knew of what life has always been like. And so I started and I, I get a lot of uh, sleep paralysis, you know, so even for a while now. So I started reading about how people are sleeping in this family. You know, mm -hmm. how our dreams are being affected. Uh, what are we hallucinating? What are we dreaming of? What are our nightmares like? So uh, that was the driving inspiration behind this installation. 
And one of the interesting things, if you could see, it's not about how the bioplastics look like in light, and but also about when it's dark and you put like a light on it, the shadows mm-hmm. they create, kind of like. So the idea was to not just look at it on a surface level, but to dig inside these realms of, you know, when we're talking about something like dreams and nightmares, they don't have anything much tactile form or shape. They're kind of realms of beings which are somewhat in between what is real and what is like subconscious. So that was also the idea for and I wanted the installation to be interactive. So I ha- we had all these lights so people could come and play around and see how the shadows are changing. And so you kind of get an idea about how it's like to stay inside a room day in and day out in the pandemic at night when you probably have like some of these neon lights in your house or these yellow lights and you're kind of like dreaming or having your nightmares or, you know, even having your... Um, Good times, bad times, both. But what it is like to have all of that happening inside a room, in your mind, after you go to sleep, basically. In a nutshell. Yeah, super intriguing. Eh? That's what it was. But I would also like to know from you, like, how your perception about life and death has changed after working with biomaterials. I was... I was just kind of talk about it, you know, like, how did you know this is, <laughs> this was like absolutely something I was going to talk about. I mean, I would say, and that's, you know, it's interesting, you know, if, if, if we were in an utopian situation where, you know, we are not in a climate crisis, I think I would have still worked with biomaterials because I felt it, it's very fascinating that I'm working with something that's coming from this earth coming from this planet that is also what has made me like you know we are all made of this carbon particles and so is everything that I am working with and especially this like since last year like so many people I'm sure we have experienced so much personal loss and we have seen it around us so much and um, I also went through recently like some months of like my personal loss in my family and I would uh, actually, you know, used to write this. So when I was doing my installation, I used to write like a journal. So I used to write this, how I felt so much. First of all, like just the acceptance of death, you know, because, you know, I was working with things that had come like from uh, from a dead plant or a dead animal. And here I am giving it another life. So in death, you know, it is leaving it's being something else so it doesn't end there you know in our religion we we believe that you know when we die we kind of become a part of the of the universe of of the matters around us so it was a very you know i've always been a material designer and a material artist so it was a very spiritual understanding of the material i'm working with it also i would say humbled me down because i would say it also made me realize about how tiny we are in the matter of you know in the grand scale of things and how um, you know someday you know we would also have the same fate as this materials I'm working on but it was also nice to know that it doesn't end there you know your life once you die doesn't really end there because it's a constant cycle that goes on and on and now that I'm working with mycelium I feel it even more you know we watched fantastic fungi of course you watched it and you know that life cycle that goes on and it's um, I feel so nice because I feel like I'm so much in tuned with this planet because it's such a beautiful planet and I feel every day so grateful to have had this life to to, you know perceive like aren't we lucky to be born on this beautiful planet you know and I feel like you know I read Carl Sagan and you you read all about all these astronauts and when they go out in space and they're like you know you would really understand how good we have it once you go out and you have nothing but space and, you know, no environment and nothing. And it's interesting because, you know, before this, like, if you've seen my early works, probably you won't see them because I don't have them online. <laughs> you know, I used to work with a lot of neutral tones, you know, I used to work with a lot of uh, blacks. I'm a Bengali. We have a very muted sense of aesthetics since, you know, forever. 
but i think i've opened my eyes to things that my professors would even consider to be eh because they're such acidic colors they're so bright because i'm like my god i'm so lucky to even perceive this range of colors imagine if i was born as a different animal i wouldn't be seeing the world the way i'm seeing mm-hmm. it now so it's definitely given me a sense of uh and absolutely you know i was working in such commercial spaces before that the fashion industry textile industry they're very commercial they're very like you're very profit driven all the time you're very human driven all the time i would say like your clients are humans you're making and for once you know my colleagues are nature basically and i'm completely shifted from uh being around humans to being more around nature about the fact that um why do we have everything uh, you know revolves us in matters of art and design and innovation because we are just a, a tiny another tiny element on this planet and nature is so much more powerful than us and you can see it like look at this mycelium like this one cellular beings and they are so smart so i mean i feel a lot of peace of mind i would say i feel a lot of sense of purpose i feel way more aligned with myself and my environment and it has definitely helped me navigate a lot of tough times in my life like um like there were days and it's also a very meditative process you know making my materials it takes so much patience and you know you spend so much days alone and just just with that and um, yeah i mean i have really learned to accept and marvel at this beauty of existing a lot more actually the carl sagan theory of the tiny dot that they see from that was one of the inspirations for us also to right? name the yeah. podcast tiny farm friends and our lab as tiny farm lab really yeah. oh wow and now also, this makes it so much more special <laughs> yeah also it's so fascinating you know when you study about these tiny organisms who work as living factories and how much they could create and like how much more intelligent they are from us so that is like a total different exactly these tiny organisms could like just yeah exactly and can i just add something yeah So like when I started working with this I realized that this planet has given us so much like the mechanism that this planet has built is so much so why are we creating things new when we already have so much that we can work with like <laughs> it's funny because um, you know like how we have this amazing system of trapping carbon dioxide from the environment by the plants and then breaking it down into the carbons that go mm-hmm. into our food and I mean this is like a wonderful mechanism like you know it is almost like someone with a brain came up with it and i saw this tweet by someone i'm not going to name someone very famous um uh, a billionaire <laughs> who was um, organizing like a competition to i just read, you know, read about it yesterday and i was super no. fascinated in a way it is a good thing and but you know, like on the other side of it like you really think like like we have come down so far that we have to have such things you know like yeah that's true but no what was funny is because he uh, organized a competition where he said someone would come up with the best idea to remove carbon dioxide from the air and i think someone retweeted and said did you try planting trees and <laughs> it was so funny because you know it just really shows the solution is there like nature has given us everything we need but uh, we just don't see it right like so like how were you as a kid like were you equally fascinated about <laughs> biology or and chemistry or now you are much more interested in nature now i was a very curious kid tell tell you that i was always like very fascinated with everything I think I uh, I grew up reading a lot of National Geographic magazines with my grandfather at that time. Wow, and cool. he was also a man who was very, you know, uh, curious about 
everything and uh, had a lot of books and i was very curious i was also very alone i would say you know i was a, i'm a single child and i would spend a lot of time by myself you know mm-hmm. exploring things i used to go to the mountains a lot so i was amongst nature a lot i was uh, uh, uh trying to build a telescope to see <laughs> the stars you know i was always a kid but i wasn't very good in this in the subjects in school like i wasn't because what happened was i couldn't uh, my brain somehow couldn't process all this in a very dry academic format <laughs> so i was very curious but i wasn't into too much of like um, you know learning by memorizing and that stuff i wasn't so actually i was very bad in biology and chemistry in my school but inside me i was always like i i i liked it but i wasn't good at it you got it interesting and now since you're also back at doing your art and how do you see your role as an artist you know like trying to create a discourse or spreading awareness mm-hmm. uh, with say, biomaterials or shifting people mm-hmm. from say a linear economic model to a circular economic model what is the role of art mm-hmm. yeah well i'll i'll be honest i don't i don't think i'll alone be able to you know solve so many of these problems mm-hmm. that we we discussed and all the problems that we face now i never even thought you know i never had the savior complex that's all i'm going to say i never thought i'm i'm like you know being the savior of the world uh but you know i would at the same time say what i'm doing i feel happy to also share it with others because i feel it's definitely creating a discourse i do see so many of my um my contemporaries so many of my uh, people i've started with in the past uh kids young kids they come to me they they dm me all the time they're like this is so nice we never knew something like that could exist or how do you do this or i want to do this what should i do and i feel like even the fact that see my art is something i love to do and the fact that it's also sparking a conversation that's beyond just the art of it and who knows this conversations and this you know interest could give rise to so many new people who would do things and they will have their own vision and then they will take biomaterials and this circular approach to design ahead in their own way and that's how you create a ripple effect i mean someday i was inspired by someone else who did biomaterials but probably in a different way probably they do something else with it but i was inspired by it and um, i plan to do that i plan to absolutely show the you know the fact that even art can be something that could be made from biomaterials and you know it doesn't have to be the traditional materials i mean what i want to uh, what i want to as a very philosophical part of me i want to do is anything that i'm creating because you know again i'm creating something real it's not just digital i'm creating something tactile so anything i'm creating i don't want it to go back and harm the planet that's simply my philosophy i would say so for me uh, biomaterials are my medium to work as an artist and it's interesting because i get to research and i get to create something new definitely but have you like set some dreams ahead like do you want to keep practicing this as an art or do you also want to maybe say create some products or like a fashion line or products like yeah that, okay <laughs> Oh, you know, I've been uh, thinking about this a lot. Um, see, I think it was a very somewhat conscious decision to to like when I started working with biomaterials like bioplastics in Rome, and I was working like it wasn't just me. There were three, four people, and they came from different backgrounds. So we were doing our own things. So it was a very conscious decision on my part to not do a product. and work on something more experiential and more spatial and art based because i felt like how can you know i feel like if i make it into a product i'll be contradicting everything that i'm saying like you know the problem is that as for now as of now i would say because 
as soon as I make a product, I feel like I'll be creating a demand for it. I'll be creating a space to overexploit something. What I would ideally like to do, of course, right now it's just my art practice, and I want to continue that because uh, I'm quite interested in that. Absolutely. But what I would love to do is maybe if I can, you know, someday I have a bit more of my signature style as an artist and have like a very small range of like a, you know, a product that will just be sold for just some time, you know, limited, you know how you have limited editions of, of, of this artist, something like that, because I don't want to get back into the space where I'm, um, creating things and then having making a demand for it and then i have to create more and start exploiting all the sources because you know that's the problem i mean there's no that there's nothing wrong with creating products there's nothing wrong with creating commerce you know people need to earn but the problem is that we tend to in this kind of um, consumeristic capitalist environment that we're in we tend to overindulge a lot like we tend to have more than i mean uh, we tend to seek more than we need but again it will be very classist for me to say all of that because people also need to survive and you know we are also dealing with a larger population now than that was before and you need all these people to survive so i mean right now i would say no products I would love to also, but I would love to collaborate with other people like designers, architects, product designers. I would love to definitely give them consultation. I would love to uh, make it for them. Definitely nothing wrong with that. But for myself, I'm concentrating on the art for now. Fair enough. I think maybe some responsible designer can pick up from where you leave, you know, as like whatever your findings are. Through yeah, and I would love to help them. I would love to help them. And I'm actually like in the process of uh, talking with another designer and we're trying to see uh, like a little part of her, uh, like she does technical textiles, a little part of which she needs like for the circuit, like a bit of plastic. So if I could make, I would love to help people like absolutely. But no, no products for now. <laughs> Interesting. So, but are you optimistic about a future where there would be more circular fashion? And do you think that today is like the most exhilarating time for designers? It's very interesting, you know, the question you asked me, because this is something I used to say a lot, like, you know, whenever I would appear at interviews for jobs or something, and I would say, like, one of the reasons I was driven towards all these challenges, and I'm not just talking about biomaterials now, and for the longest time, like when I was in Germany, even when I was at NID, I was quite a rebel. Like I was always, I always wanted to work with things that don't exist and do different things. And I don't want to do this pretty, you know, pretty textiles. So I would say like one of the reasons is I feel like it's such a great time to be alive. It's such a great time to be a designer. You know, we are still that generation who knows what it's like to grow up without so much technology. So we know a lot of our way around the world without it but also we are having such amazing opportunities and so many new discoveries every day and uh, I feel like also if you see I mean if I talk about just us Indians we are are we the third generations post-colonial uh, we yeah. are probably the third post-colonial yeah. generations right so we have we don't have a lot of that colonial hangover our parents had we didn't have that struggle our parents had our grandparents had so we are a lot more free to build a you know more holistic vision of the world as we see it so i and that's why you know i really encourage everyone i'm like you know don't go for something conventional when we live in such amazing times it's the most exciting times to be a human you know and especially for us, the privileged ones, you know, I know a lot of people can't, don't have their choice to have this career. I am optimistic, I would say, but I would also say I am definitely concerned with the climate emergency we are in. I'm definitely concerned with the way the, the, because I've been in the fashion industry, you know, I'm definitely concerned with what I've seen and I'm seeing because, you know, I see a lot of these kids that grow up with a smartphone and they see, um, they see all these Instagram influencers and they don't have the uh, knowledge or the, um, the wisdom to understand that 
how much waste, how much it's happening behind the scenes of all those instant fashion moments. So I am a bit concerned, but I like to stay optimistic because I, you know, I tell you, I get all these amazing people in my DMs, you know, how you and I connected and I, I see there are also people like us, you know, trying to even have a conversation about it. So I am concerned. I'm, I'm just a realist, I would say. So while I'm hopeful, I'm also a bit concerned, but definitely hoping things are gonna, you know, people are gonna be more aware of things eventually. Right. I think that was a beautiful message to end with. And it is always a pleasure to talk to you. And we got to cover so much about biomaterials, especially the spiritual side of it also. That is very interesting for me. 